Hockey Podcast. We are back uh, via Zoom. This is I have it right this week. We, this is 104. There's no guessing. This is 104. 104. Last week we uh, kind of dug into the standards of, of the game and the standards of the league and officiating. Uh, this week we'll uh, share some stories and, yeah, kind of talk about whatever kind of comes up. Uh, Content is never a problem. No, we well, it starts out kind of as as one, and then we kind of just fall right into something. So yeah. I'm not too concerned about it. So uh, we'll we'll wing it, and we'll see where we go. Uh, Warm the Hockey Podcast, episode 104. Um, make sure for anything you subscribe, rate, and review on the necessary audio and social and video platforms. Uh, social media: Facebook and Instagram, Warm the Hockey Podcast, and at Warm the Hockey Podcast, respectively. Like and follow us there. Engage with us. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe, uh, rate, review, follow us there, and YouTube as well. Hit the notification bell and subscribe. Warm the Hockey Podcast, episode 104. Start things off this week with a, a few, um, a couple of headlines here. We're going to start off. We, we always start off with headlines, but we'll start off with the, uh, one big one. Uh, World Juniors to be played in August. Okay. Yeah. I mean, as, as everybody, everybody who was eligible will remain eligible because as uh, what I understand, which is a big deal, right? All of the eligibility from Christmas to next August should not technically change. It says rosters to remain the same. So okay. if your team, whatever your team was, that's your team. So there's no new tryouts. There's no whatever. It's that's your team. Come back, hold a camp for three days or however long, just to get your legs, and then go again. Uh, so okay. good uh, tournament. I, I hated to have missed in the middle it. of in the middle of August in, in Alberta. It says. Well, let's hope that fans can attend. It'll be a new competition, which means we forget the results in December. So they're going to start from scratch. Forget the results that happened in December. Um, tournament for players under 20 uh, began in Edmonton, Alberta. Edmonton Red Deer, uh, Alberta um, postponed. Um, let's see. Uh, Jackie and Russia each had to forfeit a preliminary round game. Um, 2022 World Junior Championship could consist could consist of the same rosters each country had in December, regardless of whether those players turn 20 before the tournament. It's the way it should be. So even if they're 20, even if they're technically not eligible, hold the same rosters, play the tournament, and then there you go, even if they're aged out at that point. As it should be. And too bad for the last year or two, kids yeah. didn't get to finish their careers in college or major junior or junior a or high school for that matter or any place else so and if you play in august you won't have to worry about a number of the guys not being able to to go so right. um so like uh, if the roster, rosters remain the same here i'm reading the article that um the top five players selected in the 2021 nhl draft would play owen power um mason mctavish kent johnson uh, we're all on Team Canada's roster. Matt Beneers and Luke Hughes were, were playing for the United States. Uh, yep. Jake Sanderson, uh, selected by the Senators in the 2020 uh, draft, was captain for the States. Um, let's see. 
uh, same groups, it looks like. So they'll stay in the same groups and everything. But the United States in Group B, along with Russia, Sweden, Slovakia, and Switzerland. Canada, Group A, with Finland, Czechia, Germany, and Austria. Double um, IHF to reintroduce the relegation round. Oh, okay. Um, which was ori originally eliminated for this year. The loser of the best of three re relegation round will be placed with Belarus. Okay. Right, because Belarus won the won the relegate won relegation in their buy into to it. So now whoever loses relegation is replaced by Belarus. Yeah. Um, tournament to still be held in Alberta. Um, still to be scheduled to be played in Edmonton and Red Deer. So we'll see we'll see how it goes. If they follow through with with lifting mandates and restrictions like they have in some provinces, it shouldn't be an issue. Um, We'll see. We'll see how well they stick to doing that. Um, I'm I'm always nervous with when politics and government are in, in play that it's a political move to get to get a, a protest or something to back off, and then all of a sudden, conveniently, oh, we have reason to bring them back. So I'm. Um, yeah. It's part of the reason why. Part of the reason why not to get off track, but when when you hear, hear the and read the news headlines of. Saskatchewan and Alberta and these and these and Ontario getting to the point of lifting restrictions and mandates and kind of reopening and removing vaccine passport stuff and all this stuff. I'm not jumping for joy because because these are the same people that said two weeks to flatten the curve. So you have good. I'm not jumping for joy yet. Maybe in a year from now, a year from now, if the mandates have have been gone and they stay gone, maybe I can breathe and kind of go okay. <laughs> But I'm so, not holding my breath, unfortunately. So no. we'll see what happens. Um, but what else is the headline? Up? World Junior for August is the reported time. Yep. Uh, Love that. You know, everybody who listens knows what fans we are of the World Junior tournament and have been for since, in my case, way before you were born. But it's always been a big deal in our house. <clears throat> Uh, question for you. Uh, what kind of credibility do you give to um, the NHL's lovely power rankings? Power rankings are nothing more than goal differential. That's all they're based on. One metric doesn't wins and losses and everything else. Goal differential is the one. It's the one analytic in power rankings. Any any kid in grade three can do power rankings. So they mean, they really mean nothing. They come out every week. If you win four in a row uh, last week and you have a goal differential of two or three per game, you're going to jump up the power rankings, no matter who you beat. If you, if you go two and two and you squeeze out wins over Tampa and Colorado by a goal, you're going to probably go down in the power rankings, even though you beat the two best teams in the league. So they mean, uh, to answer your question, nothing. They mean nothing to me. How, how detailed would you give, would you make power rankings in order to make them mean something? I'm different from a lot of people. I'm my, the only analytic I care about is wins. I don't, I don't care about save percentage, Corsi, so, Benwick. So go, off then, so go off then the, fi the last 10 games. 
right? Like the NHL, NHL does on, on their standings, previous 10 games, and teams have their records out of 10 games. What's their win-loss in those 10 games? Go off of that. I, again, I, power rankings is something I never look at and don't, don't care about. And I'm just, and this is a personal matter. You, as you know, you can go three and O this week and not play that well. You could go O and three and play great. Your goaltender might be on his head, stopping 45 a night. He might be terrible and give up four on 19. You know, your top line might be dash six. Anything can happen. The only thing that really matters is wins and losses. And it doesn't matter how, but it also matters when. So mid-season power rankings, I pay no attention to. The power rankings sort themselves out when from game 83 on, which is where, where everything matters. And you might be playing great. You might run into a hot goaltender, a, a Jordan Bennington from two or three years ago. You never know. So I just, I guess to answer your question, no matter how you look at it, I, it's not something I care about. That's all. Well, um, final headline before we jump into the meat of this week. University of Michigan is being uh, – Michigan coach Mel Pearson has been accused – of instructing players to lie on their COVID tracing forms last year. So he's, so this, the team and the coach and the university are being investigated um, for during last year's NCAA tournament, supposedly instructing his players to lie on their tracing forms. Um, Can I, can I ask what a COVID tracing form is? I would assume and I, I'm happy to not know this and ridiculous <laughs> to even have it, but I'm assuming it has to do with, with testing positive and who you were around when you did, and so they can trace it back to who might be exposed and all this stuff in order to, in order to basically determine if, like we saw last year, if a school needs to forfeit. Put that we in. saw a number of schools last year and even the year before have to forfeit and not even get to play a national tournament game because of the lovely, wonderful COVID rules. So my guess is that's what a COVID tracing form is. If that's the case, I can't say. And I presume that it is. That makes perfectly good sense. If that's the case, put the COVID tracing forms in the file with the power rankings and shut the door. They mean nothing. If a kid, these are the best conditioned 19, 20 year old athletes in the world. They're asymptomatic. It's irrelevant, even if they test positive. So, you know, we've covered this ad nauseum for two years. I don't even know what it is. Don't want to know what it is. Don't care what it is. You got perfectly healthy young athletes and none of the rest of it matters. What's happening to, uh, and a senior center in Italy does not have any relevance to NCAA hockey or anything else for that matter. Boom. The interesting thing here, I'm reading this, the interesting thing too, they're looking into it like it's such a big deal. And yet Michigan was one of the teams last year who had to withdraw. Right. So, so what it's like one of those things where it's, not, where it's like the, the lie didn't lead to a national title. 
it's not well, like it's not like every team has to follow these regulations of COVID tracing. But yeah, Michigan Live Michigan won a national championship, right. and now it calls into question. Michigan had to forfeit last year; they had to withdraw, so it it really didn't matter anyway. It's just it's interesting to me. The other allegations here, apparently, and again, could be true, and I don't want to I don't want to dismiss anything of the nature of these allegations and and trivialize it in any fashion all i'm saying is reading from an article outside person here there's no way to know how true it is especially in today's culture but one of some of the other allegations against uh, pearson um, states that uh, pearson and directive director of hockey operations rick bancroft discriminated against female staffers and created a toxic work environment. Um, Pearson retaliated against a student athlete for raising concerns about the hockey team's culture. Um, and Bancroft knew about sexual misconduct committed by Anderson. And uh, Anderson, I believe, let me, Robert Anderson was investigated for decades long sexual abuse from 1990, from, um, who was an employee from 66 to 2003, so back then. But Well, it happened at Penn State football. They, these things need to be handled internally. As soon as the NCAA gets involved, now it becomes political fodder. The NCAA is as corrupt as the International Olympic Committee, the Center for Disease Control, the United Nations. They're all money grabbers. None of them have any integrity. None of them have any credibility. Keep them out of it. If, if somebody is committing some kind of sexual crime, call the police. Look after it internally and have mechanisms, just like we talked about with Chicago Blackhawks, have mechanisms to police these things from the inside. If that doesn't work, that's what we have law enforcement for. Yep, but, exactly. Uh, speaking of the Olympic Committee, um, controversy there in figure skating. Don't know if you heard that. A figure skating controversy? Uh, 15-year-old Russian figure skater. Yeah. Um, Landed two quads, am I right? She's, she's fantastic. Her, she's tremendous to be 15 years old and to do that stuff. Uh, but she tested positive before the Olympics even started for three substances that have to do with a heart defect she doesn't have a heart defect. And so what it is, is it's substances that basically help your heart rate. And if you don't have a heart problem, then the implication is that it's helping your endurance and helping your heart rate so that you don't get fatigued as, as quickly cardiovascularly. That's my assumption on it all. Um, they is investigated- a banned substance? What's that? Is it a banned substance? Well, they investigated three substances found, one of which was banned. Um, and they have deemed that she's able to compete. Now, um, brings up some questions. Um, nobody's happy. Um, the commentators, uh, Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir, um, even said on air during her program after she was cleared that they are not that this isn't right that it's not not fair not not just right everybody knows in these high level competitions that you you test positive on a drug test you don't play that's so why is she allowed um 
However, you also cross into the territory of she's 15 years old. So how much of these substances did she know she was ingesting? How much control did she have over it? It is, it is, it's Russia after all. Um, how many so, times has this happened to Russian athletes? Is it, this is a, this is a every four years event in both winter and summer games, I think for the last generation or so. We're going summer to winter, it's two years. Every year, so. But four years to, four years summer to summer, four years winter to winter, but yeah. Now are they, uh, so since Russia was banned, are they the Russian Olympic Committee or Russian Olympic athletes or something like that? They're, they're deemed the ROC. The problem is the ROC, they still have their Russian colors, right? So they still, so anyways, it doesn't make any sense. The point is that, he was allowed to compete. Nobody thinks it's right. Nobody thinks it's fair. Um, you do get into the debate of she's 15 years old, Russian or not. That's a lot of weight to carry at that age at a high level at, at a big stage. How much did she know about the substances? How much was she told? How much blame even at 15 does she carry if any at all there's a lot of things she's now she's now facing all the backlash and any adult around her or coach that might have been the one doing this doesn't get any attention for it so it, it creates a bit a big kind of moral dilemma you remember at the summer olympics that um u.s track a u.s runner who was banned from competing in the entire Olympics, not just an event, because she tested positive for marijuana. Uh, so it creates kind of that double standard. So interesting stuff. Thought I'd bring that up since you mentioned the Olymp Olympic Committee, but. Uh, yeah, well, this anyways, is just. not going to carry on. We're going to dive into the meat of this, but I just yeah. was relevant to your, to your mention of the Olympic, the corruptness of the Olympic Committee. I thought I'd bring it up. Um, so Thank you. anyway, uh, this week, I know you, you have a few stories you want to you start off with, but uh, this week we are going to touch, we're not going to carry a lot, well, carry on a lot about it. We say that every week and we end up doing it. <laughs> we're we're going to try to keep ourselves composed to not carry on for 40 minutes about this one topic, um, but we are going to address, because it needs to be addressed, the Jordan Subban and Panetta ECHL incident. Oh my! I'm, first is, of all, before you dive into your stories, I just want to give give my thought real quick, and it's please do as simple as this. I don't want to take anything away from Jordan, from Kadri, for all the criticisms we throw at him, even Akima Lou. I don't want to take anything away from those people simply because, simply because. At the end of the day, we all, black or white, male or female, we all go through things in our lives, and we all go through things in our lives that others may not be aware of. I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm simply not gonna say that these these players, these people, didn't face ignorant hate from somebody somewhere. No not going to say that that didn't occur and i'm not going to say that that doesn't affect i'm not going to say that that doesn't have an effect on you it has sure. an effect on me as a 30 year old wondering if even to this day i still battle wondering if somebody likes me or not 
Yeah. So I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna undermine that or trivialize that. What I will say is I do not like sport entertainment. What I don't like is this idea that because you belong to a group, black or female or homosexual or anything like that, that you can throw accusations no matter how false and they're believed without any investigation. So Panetta is not allowed to share his side of the story. He has not been allowed to share his side of the story. He tried and the world condemned him for it. Morgan Wallen says the N-word on a doorbell cam while drinking with his buddies and he's not allowed to the CMT awards, nothing. The other aspect to it is this. Panetta came out and he apologized. Morgan Wallen came out and he apologized. They're doing the things that, that the oh-so-wonderful Black Lives Matter and Hockey Diversity Alliance shit, what they say they want, and that's to be understood, to be listened to. They want other people to educate themselves on how to properly communicate around them and do these things, which is, I don't fully agree with that stuff, but the point is, they're doing it. And yet they're still, it's still not enough. They're not given a second chance. They're still being condemned. So they're go undermining the very thing they claim they want. This Panetta, sounds Panetta understood. He understood when the adrenaline died down, how his gesture on the ice may have come across in an inappropriate way. And he approached Subban to clear the air. And Subban, according to Andrew Shaw, who is Panetta's cousin, Mm -hmm. And this was on the Cam and Strick podcast interview with Andrew Shaw. According to Andrew Shaw, again, I'm not saying it as if it's true, but this is according to Andrew Shaw. Subban got in his face and said, I don't give a shit. I'll slit your throat. This is the, this is the society and the, and the things that we are dealing with right now. And look, I watched, I watched the video I'm not going to say one way or the other whether it was a racist gesture that Panetta made. What, what I will say is Panetta tried to clear the air and, and do the very thing that you claim you want. Understanding, bridging a gap, whatever you want to call it. And you turned him away, but you turned him away with vile threats. Yeah. That's not how this is supposed to work. And, but I will say this, and then I'll let you go. I will say this. In general, the one thing I will say is I don't like the gestures. No, I don't racist either. or not, I don't like gesturing. Whether it's whether it's a fight, knocking a guy out and then silencing the crowd or go to sleep or hand across the throat or any type of strong man stuff, I enough. This isn't the NFL, this isn't the NBA where you slam dunk and you beat your chest. This is no matter no matter what direction in society that the hockey that the game of hockey goes in terms of bringing in a younger younger group and expressing yourself and loosening dress codes or whatever okay but the gesturing there still has to be a level of respect and the gesturing i i don't condone racist or not enough with the gesturing now i well you know me i wouldn't i've told you many times over i wouldn't even do the flyby so i i'm just not that 
I mean, I understand the adrenaline as much as the next guy, but there was a whole world of Joe Sackick's and Gordie Howe's and, and people like that who never celebrated at all. And they were the best that ever lived. So let that be your guide. The, for all of its good sounding intentions, all of this diversity crap has done nothing but make the divide worse. It's made everybody really sensitive. It's made everybody on pins and needles. Now you can't say or do anything without offending somebody because the offended person, that sells copy. They, they want, the, the media loves to hear how Jordan Subban has been offended somehow. They don't want to hear how it was supposed to have been a strongman gesture and how Mr. Panetta didn't realize that it could be perceived as a racial, racially motivated gesture. He apologized for having it being misconstrued. Not, he didn't apologize for making a racial gesture. He apologized for having it been misunderstood. Subban refused to take that apology, which makes him a small, petty, nasty little person. And it makes him a person who is only out to sell copy. Akeem Alou, I don't know him. I have nothing against him. I have nothing for him. He played 13 years earning a paycheck around the world playing hockey. Nobody ever said, well, you can't play because you're black. He had a fantastic professional career. He made noise about some nonsense 11, 12 years ago in the, in the AHL, and he got himself a job for it. Now, people are trying to prove how woke they are by hiring on the, only on the basis of gender and race or sexual orientation, which is the thing we've been trying to get away from for the last 50 years whether it's hiring or firing or renting somebody an apartment or approving a loan or whatever, we've been trying to get away from basing all those decisions on race, gender, and sexual orientation or religious background for my entire lifetime. And now we're forced to go back to it. So now I have to hire the black guy or the, or the lady or the homosexual because if I don't, I'll be accused of something and be drummed out of business, which is nonsense. Real quickly, as you know, I quit skating almost a year ago. We, one of our most beloved guys is a very large guy. Not, I wouldn't call him fat. He played college hockey, a uh, really good guy, but he's a large man. He, was, he has and is still made fun of unmercifully because of his size. I got, I took a, it, it's not, it, it, what, I'm, what I'm getting to here is this game, which has always been open to everybody, this game does not discriminate. It, it discriminates on the basis of whether you stink at the game or whether you're just a genuine asshole. It, it's very discriminatory that way. Or whether you can afford, or whether you can afford to play. And, right. and, and look, it's I, not... And you and I can both agree that the affordability aspect is something that you can work toward changing. That, that, that is what you can possibly do. But the game has never once, nor will it ever be, closed off. No, never, never has been. Afford to play, play house. 
If you can afford to skate, go skate. If you can afford to. From there, then it gets, if you want to play at a high level, then it rightfully, just like Navy SEALs or anything else, it rightfully has it's a selection process that is rightfully very stringent and very so how 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 disgusting would it be to be a young black player or gay or anything else and have them have somebody come to you and say we'd like to have you on our team because you're black and we know that you need a break because you're black and you couldn't possibly make it on your own so we're going to gift you this spot over a couple of white kids or a couple of straight kids or whatever because we know you are incapable of doing anything on your own. How disgusting is that? How demeaning? Anyway, our guy, our, our guy is large and he gets made fun of constantly. They love him, but they make fun of his size. I, I got hit, uh, I took a deflection, first or second shift about four or five years ago. Took a deflection, hit me in the orbital bone, I swelled up right away, turned purple, 20 minutes later, a guy I know, I was playing against him, one of my favorite guys, he comes by, he skates by me during a whistle, and he goes, Rower, you big pussy, you bruise like a peach. And I'm standing there, you know, my left eye's kind of swelled shut. And I, I love this guy. We play golf together. We drink beer together. He's a wonderful guy. But this is the way the game is. This is the way this is the way people treat each other in the dressing room. You better hope they're making fun of you because if they aren't, they don't like you. That's all there is to it. We were at, we were at a, uh, about 12 years old or so. I was at a church camp and all we did was play hockey. And one of the, it was, imagine a, a dorm full of 12 year olds doing nothing but playing hockey hockey all day and one of the kids well, we, we wrapped him in toilet paper and set him on fire like how how ignorant is that it wasn't because of nobody even cared what the deal was he was one of the, he was a little brother of one of our best friends and but it wasn't it was just kids being kids yep. like I just I just don't get why being offended and being a victim is so popular I don't want to be a victim. You've never wanted to be a victim of anything. Well, it makes we, you wonder what the mo what the motive and intentions are, because it really does. It is money, but I, but I say it rhetorically. It makes you wonder what the motive and intention is, because let's give some let's give human beings at least some semblance of benefit of the doubt. Right. That there's at least some smarts to them. They have to understand you would think on some level that all this BS does the exact opposite of what you are saying you want. It does the exact opposite. You say you want educated people. You say you want understanding. You say you want sensitivity. You say you want equality. You say you want to be heard. You say you want all these things. And then at every turn, you undermine that by not allowing people to make mistakes, not allowing people to correct those mistakes, not allowing people to educate themselves. It goes, it flies in the face of the very thing that you claim you want, black or woman or white, doesn't matter. 
there has to be an understanding that we are human beings. And the problem with this is it sets a standard that nobody can touch. Now you have to be perfect. Now you can't say anything wrong, do anything no. wrong. Now we're not only monitoring your words or your actions, now we're monitoring your gestures. We're monitoring your, your we're monitoring your facial expressions. How about this one? So it, about, it makes it very difficult. How many times have you seen somebody uh, like for generations? Okay, first of all, every Indian guy that I ever skated with they were, if they made the team, they were just as good as everybody else. Every single one of them was nicknamed Chief. Yep. Every, every one of them. How many times have you seen guys and, and the, the Indians themselves score a goal and give it the old, right? Bow and arrow, yeah. Well, P.K. Subban does the, does the bow and arrow. Seen him do it a dozen times. Is that some racially hateful gesture? I don't think so. He was just excited that he scored a goal. I, this is all. This is all just a load of crap. And as the saying goes, when everything is racist, nothing is racist. There is nothing racist about our game. You, Willie O'Ree, never said anything about being a black player. He was just a player. He was just blessed to have been a player. He never made a big deal about the fact that he was black. The league and all of its wokeness came to him at many yeah, years. He's now a puppet of the league. Yeah. And yeah. made him an ambassador. He didn't ask for it. He was just a guy. He wasn't a black hockey player. He was just a hockey player. And he was really, really happy to be so. Uh, this, is, this is something I don't understand. How, how you could be Matt Dumba or Alou, or anybody else cashing an NHL paycheck and say that somehow this game is racist. Are there anecdotes of racism and hatefulness? Look, they're going to make fun of you if you get divorced. They're going to make fun of you if you get an impaired driving, if you have to enter substance abuse rehab. They're going to make fun of if you're overweight, no matter what it is, you're, you're, you're going bald. They're going to make fun of you. Do we need to create victim groups for all of them? No. Do we need to continue to make everybody painfully aware of who the black players are? Let's not. Let's just call them all players. Let's call everybody a player. Well, it sets a dangerous precedent because it, what it does is it creates a situation where now if you have a real moment of true hate and racism it just gets lost you know it's the same argument to be made of of women who falsely accuse men of sexual assault right well at some point that very woman or somebody else might be assaulted and now who believes them right so, so it's it's one of those it sets a dangerous precedent and and i'm and again i don't I see here we are being careful with how we say things because we're all on eggshells. Again, I don't want I don't want to come across like victim blaming or doing anything like that. I understand that in the case of women with sexual assault or abuse, that it's that it's horrible. very horrible, but it's also but it's also difficult to come forward. Sure it is. It's difficult to come forward. I get it. 
But that doesn't change the fact, no matter how difficult it is, that if you want justice or you want to be believed, then you tell the truth. And if you weren't assaulted, then maybe you don't say that you were, right? So the point is, it sets a dangerous precedent of how will you be believed if everything is assault or everything is racist or everything is a hate crime against the the gay community or everything this or that. And then all of a sudden something truly hateful and despicable happens. And now you've got very cynical people going, well, I just don't believe you. Yeah. That's the eighth one this week. I don't know. What do you, what do we make of this? So one, one last tidbit here. This has been, this has been 30 years ago now, but we, we had a full on team hazing event and it was, it was a blast. This kid, he was the youngest kid on the team. He turned 21 years old, great kid. Everybody loved him. We went to the bar, started having a few pops and then he started to get the sense that something was going on and he tried to take off. So we're chasing this poor kid down the street (laughs) and and he's in his basically the underwear, the undergarments from his gear because we had torn his, started tearing his clothes off. He's tearing down this street. We catch him, tackle him, basically like pallbearer carry him back to the rink, tape him to the training table, full on shaved the kid. And this is before you know, people were happy to shave themselves, shaved this kid with a rusty straight razor. And it was almost Christmas time. So at the end of the night, one, without being too graphic, one was painted green and one was painted red. And, and then the kid we, we took him out to the bar and, and we just got, uh, the, the rink had a bar in it. We took him to the bar and the poor guy just got horrendously overserved. I came in the next morning, <laughs> morning skate. I opened the bathroom door and hit him in the head. He had, he had passed out on the floor on this cold, dirty, filthy concrete floor. And I flung the door open and conked him right in the head. And today we would all be in jail for that, or it would be a hate crime because he, you know, might be along to some put upon group so hard done by, but this, it was just all in front. It was because we loved the guy. We joked about it, still joke about it to this day. I'm just telling you, life was simpler when people didn't enjoy being victims. And it's a whole victim community. And it's what you see, it's what you're seeing. It's a whole victim community and I don't understand it. I don't understand the appeal of being one. We should all not want to be one. Yeah, I'll make it on my own. I, I, I won't name names, but I saw a, a social media post a month or two ago from a girl I used to go to school with who, who's fully in the victim category. And... I, I don't remember word for word, but it was along the lines of why should, why should I have to, why should I have to do anything to protect myself? It's on, it's on men to not do this or something of that nature. 
And I'm, and I'm like, you know what? You're 100% correct. It's on men to not be complete heinous animals and yeah. doing these acts. But you know what? It still doesn't mean that it won't happen. So keep your head on a swivel. We're standing open. So take self-defense classes, lock your doors. Don't walk down an alley at 2 a.m. by yourself. Don't do these things. And, and you'll go a long way helping yourself. But it's this idea of victim mentality of, I don't have to do anything to help myself. It should be on them because woe is me. And it's, and you're seeing it with, you're seeing it with, with COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's got in Canada alone. Canada alone, over 90% of the population is vaccinated, yep. fully vaccinated. Now, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of the fact that fully vaccinated and yet you still catch it, Right. but fully vaccinated and yet based on the way things are going right now, if you've been following it, it's on the 90% to make the 10% feel comfortable. Yeah. Well, or, or backward. It's on the 10% to make it's on the 10 Right. You're right. Sorry. I, I had that backwards. It's on the 10%. First of all, the 10% are terrorists and evil and horrible and killers and all this stuff, but it's on the 10% to make the 90% feel better, even though it's 90% vaccinated. And that's just Canada alone. I can't, I, I'd have to look it up to know the specific percentage of the entire world. Well, but yet we're still, we're still in this idea that you, you wear masks and you can't do anything because it's on the unvaccinated to make the people that are vaccinated feel safe. Enough with the victim stuff. Learn to live with it. Move forward. Look after yourself. Look after yourself. If you are that uncomfortable, guess what? Don't go outside. Yeah. Plain and simple as that. Enough. Enough. Anyway. Anyway, see, we carried on a lot about it. See, told you. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. Question for you, and we're going to move on here because we I want to transition. Um, yeah. Warm the Hockey Podcast, episode 104. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe, rate and review, follow along with us on the audio platforms, social media, and YouTube as well. We'll touch on those again at the end of the episode. But Warm the Hockey Podcast, at Warm the Hockey Podcast on all those platforms. Subscribe, rate and review, follow along, engage with us. Episode 104, question for you. Thoughts on... And I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that there's anything wrong with it now, simply because there's no rule against it. Thoughts on whether or not the league needs to adjust their the handling of LTIR in terms of cap circumvention. Does the league need to address that? Because I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to undermine or assume that Mark Stone, for example, is not as hurt as he is. No, I, but there I is, but there is an idea. There is an idea that, and it's hard to ignore a coincidence that you're in a position to be able to put Mark Stone on LTIR when Jack Eichel's ready to come back. Does, does the league need to address these things and, and maybe make an adjustment to how that's handled or or is it one of those things where clearly it's okay, you can do it too, so it is what it is? Well, it, it's clearly okay. It's clearly within the rules that the Board of Governors has set up. It is clearly in, within bounds of every piece of operating system that the league uses. Uh, Kucherov set a great precedent 
they happen to win a cup doing that, which makes it a little bit tougher for the other 31 teams to handle. Now we're seeing it with Mark Stone. I don't doubt that Mark Stone is hurt. He's an honest guy. Uh, but is this a is this a carefully planned coincidence? Of course it is. Eichel's ready to go within 72 hours of Stone being put on LTIR. It is a it's a mathematical necessity, and it is within the boundaries of the way the Board of Governors has agreed to operate. Should they change it? I think they should. I don't think you should be able to manipulate the cap like that. If a guy gets put on LTIR, there probably should be some restriction on him coming back during the playoffs. Well, that would make it make it, way of fixing it. I agree. I'm, I, I've thought about it. Make it about how they do it with your name on the Stanley Cup. You have to play right. a certain number of games, right? Well, you have to only miss a certain number of games to be eligible to come back in the playoffs. And you can be on LTIR, but if if you're on LTIR for 60 days and you miss 25 games, then now you can't come back. Something like that, um, because it's one of those it's one of those things where teams and organizations they know that they can. I'm not saying that they can't. Clearly, whether we agree with doing it or not, it's well within the rules. But they know going in what the salary cap is and they know what players make and they know what players want and all this stuff. And yet you go out like Vegas has done since their inception and they try and make a super team by chasing literally every trade bait, every free agent, no matter who the name is, no matter what they're asking to the point of from a pure fan perspective, it's quite annoying <laughs> to be quite honest, but nonetheless, they go after that and then they, they now get, they now get Jack Eichel with all due respect to Alex Tuck. Jack Eichel makes a lot more money than Alex Tuck. So now you've got a cap situation while Stone's making $9 million and Fleury makes his money and Shea Theodore, go down the list. Yeah. It's well within the rules. We've established that. But they also know going in what the cap is, and yet they do this. So it, 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 I said it's carefully planned coincidence. That's all. Me, it is. All I'm saying though is, to me, there there should be a check and balance put in place. Then that okay, if you want to do this, that's fine. But you're gonna have to you're gonna have to make a sacrifice come playoff time if yeah. your LTIR if your LTIR misses X amount of games. We'll yep. let you do it, but if LTIR misses X amount of games, they can't be they can't play in the playoffs. Yes. I'm not saying I'm not saying that. Tampa Bay doesn't win a Stanley Cup if Kucherov's not in the lineup. They're they're a talented enough team. They they likely win two Stanley Cups whether Kucherov's in the lineup or not. Right. All I'm saying in that regard though is optically you take your $8 million Kucherov or however much he makes and you put him on LTIR for the entirety of the regular season. Two seasons in a row Kucherov played maybe eight games, 12 games, and then the rest of the regular season, he's on LTR. And then, oh, coincidentally, he's perfectly fine and healthy at the start of the playoffs. I can... Optically, I can it doesn't look... It's, it's obvious. Every it, It's not just... It doesn't just look suspicious. It's blatant. It's obvious. And it's not really even... They're not even trying to be secretive about it. Mark Stone will make a miraculous recovery about the third week of April, 
and he'll be fine to play however long they last in the playoffs. Uh, what they do in the offseason to get under the cap, who knows? But this is one of those build it, build it for this year deals. And if you can manipulate and stay competitive next year uh, while having somehow both Stone and Eichel in the lineup, great. We'll, we'll see. But this is the purpose of the cap is to level the field a little bit for everybody. This doesn't necessarily allow for that to happen. And I think the fact that the, uh, if, if I were any one of the other 30 owners, other board of governors, I would look at a team that's won two consecutive Stanley Cups doing this and a team that is poised to make another deep run in Vegas doing the same thing. And I'd say, fellas, when we get together this spring, it's time to change this up a little bit. This is too easy to get around. It's too easy to pick somebody up at the deadline that puts you, pick up three guys that put you $24 million over the cap, win a cup, and then blow up the team. So it's, it, you just can't let it go. Or They've already figured out how to game the system. There needs to be a, there needs to be a punishment for it. And that would be, like you said, making it restricted as to how many games somebody could play in the playoffs if they've been on LTIR for more than, you know, your basic 15 days of injury reserve or something like that. But if they go on long-term, there's got to be something to put in place to make it so that you can't just, you can't just blow up the cap by 30% and then fix it in the off season. I, but would, I want to be careful. Would you suggest maybe a waiver wire too? Would that be a solution? So like LTIR. So just since we're talking about it, use it as an example. Mark Stone goes on LTIR. Creates, you're now cap compliant as a result because now Jack Eichel's here to play. Mark Stone comes back. Now you have to be cap compliant even in the playoffs. So now... Here's, here's our newly implemented in-season waiver wire, for example. And there is an in-season. Players are placed on waivers all the time, but you get my point. In-season waiver wire. So now Marcia So, just to name a name, has to, has to be waived and he has to go. Somebody has to go to, to get cap compliant again. And if that means another playoff team picks him up, then okay, another playoff team picks up Marcia So, but now you get cap compliant. Something like that. But this something something to create a situation where you're not in the playoffs over the cap. Well, whether whether the cap comes into play in the playoffs or not. And I know play, I know money really doesn't come into play during the playoffs. But the point is just in general, something to be cap compliant even in the playoffs. Whether it's you missed this many games, so now you can't play, or it's a waiver wire or something. Because I, optic, optics, optics, optics. Yep. Optically, now, back-to-back -back Stanley Cups for Tampa Bay with Kucherov in both of those seasons being LTIR'd. And now Vegas, who's in four or five seasons of their existence, have been to the conference finals four, four times and the Stanley Cup final once. And now, oh, now they're doing the LTIR thing. Something's got to give. I, and, I and, totally agree. I, I would... I would I would create a system by which LTIR 
has carries with it some playoff ineligibility. Whether that's a proportional amount, you're ineligible for one game in the playoffs for every three games that you miss in the regular season, or whatever the case may be. I don't know. But I want to make sure that our listeners, if you're not familiar, LTIR is not a victim group. It's not a specialty group. It stands for long-term injured reserve. It has nothing to do with lesbian and trans and things like that. It's long-term injured reserve. So don't go, don't go blowing us up on Twitter. Actually, maybe you should. That's really good publicity. Hey, go on, go on social bait, media. Cook bait. We need, we need it. Absolute havoc about War Room, the hockey podcast. Because that, that really it's like walking into an airport and saying bomb. <laughs> Next thing you know, everybody's looking at you. So, <laughs> hey, let me say this based on what we're seeing right now at just past the midway point. Jared Bednar is underrated. He does not get nearly enough credit for what he's done with his team. Uh, he is he is right with John Cooper for the best in the league without any question he is just as good as it gets and he does not get his due uh, this is a team that plays really hard every night especially against the best looks like they've got their goaltending situation fairly solidified uh and i'm i, I look at them for a long run I, they're if, gonna be if kemper plays the way he did last night down the stretch and in the playoffs i've got no issues Yep. How he looked last night was tremendous. I have not seen Kemper look that well, even even when you even in the good games when he stood on his head in Arizona, when he was in Arizona, he didn't look that good. He He's looked tremendous good. last night. So and the only reason that Dallas snapped the streak is because Ottinger just like Ottinger just this game fell out of the sky into his lap. And he's not that good. He's not been that good for a long time. He doesn't have that body of work. He just caught one of those 50 save nights, lightning in a bottle. And they, it's just one of those deals. You run into that. That's why it's a good team game. But uh, they look great. Bednar gets not enough credit. Well, there's a lot of aspects, and I've said it for several years. There's a lot of aspects to Colorado that doesn't get a lot of credit. Yeah. Everybody from the internet trolls to even the supposed professionals on TV, they love whenever whenever they lose a game to just rail. But when, but when they win or things are going right or Bednar looks great or anything like that, does McKinnon win the Hart Trophy? Does Bednar win Coach of the Year? Does this or that happen? Do they get their praise? Nope. So, that Just so I don't sound like Jack Edwards here, the other guy that doesn't that he gets a lot of credit, but boy, uh, on a year like this, he, no, it's not enough. Is uh, Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh because they have had stretches of huge names out of their lineup, and every single year since he took over for Dan Bilesma, I believe, way back when, uh, they have been they've been right in the conversation, uh, right at the very top of the league. Even when they flunk out in the first round, they're as good. They're, they should shock nobody, and that goes to coaching. It also goes to leadership, because with Crosby and Malkin, Latang in that lineup, uh, that's um, that's pretty hard to match. But this is this is where at this time of the year, as the deadline approaches and the playoffs are not far away, this is where you start to see 
the, the real sorting out process. There's already eight, we already know who the eight teams in the East are gonna be. There's only nine in the West that are really capable of making it in. So between Dallas, Anaheim and LA, somebody's gonna fall out, but uh, this, is a, this is a great time of year. And last night was as good of a regular season game as I've seen uh, all year long between Vegas and Colorado. Yep, it looked good. Um, what thoughts, else is on, thoughts on Arizona's move to a 5,000-seat 5, 5, arena, which, by the way, isn't supposed to be finished construction until December. <laughs> so now, now they're in a situation where what do we do ice-wise because we're now leaving Gila or whatever it's called today and – going to ASU's place, but ASU's new arena isn't going to be completed till December. So, Well, 5,000 seats is more than they will draw unless Calgary or Vancouver or Edmonton are in town or Winnipeg. But if you've ever been to a Phoenix Coyotes game, like Arizona Coyotes, it's, it's 80% snowbirds anyway uh, most of the winter. What is Bettman's hard on for Arizona? Hmm? What is Bettman's hard on for Arizona? I don't know. I guess he just likes the stability of franchises not moving around. But that franchise has been in Phoenix for what now? Since the mid-90s. They've been there for 25, almost 30 years. And they've produced Austin Matthews. And, and they've, they've been eating probably 30 or $35 million of the league's uh, profit sharing or revenue sharing money for the last 15 years. What's the cost of keeping that franchise there? I read a, th- you- I read a thing where somebody said, somebody said Arizona should have moved instead of Atlanta. Well, they both should have. And, but here's the difference. And, and, and the one thing that I'll caution everybody on <clears throat> As with, as with an argument or uh, a shoving match in practice or anything else, wins make it all go away. Carolina was five, six years ago, they were abysmal. Didn't draw, they drew hundreds. Miami. Uh, Nashville hasn't really had this problem for quite a long time, but some of these franchises in Atlanta was right in that mix. You, you don't make the playoffs for 10 years. You can't win. Nobody goes. People stay away in droves. Now, all of a sudden, the ownership is hemorrhaging money. The league has to prop them up. And a few wins in a, in a market that's fragile, like the newer ones like Carolina and, and Florida and Arizona, it, when you don't have a generational fan base and you, and you put together five or six losing seasons, that's not like – Toronto or Montreal, those buildings are still going to be full. Boston, Chicago, the Rangers, those guys can all have tough times and rebuild, and people will still show up and be loyal. It's not the case in in the newer markets. And I know those are 20 or 30-year-old markets, some of them, but they're still relatively new. So uh, to answer the question, 5,000 seats should be more than enough for for the foreseeable future. As bad as they are, and if they peddle Chikrin and Ekman Larson or anybody else in this rebuild, holy smokes, they may want to start on. They may want to schedule ASU. 
Larson's already gone. He's in Vancouver. Chickering's, yeah. Chickering's ready to move. Um, I don't know if Chickering himself is ready to move as much as Arizona is ready to move him, but nonetheless, he's ready to be ready to be moved. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, so what's coming up next week? They may clear out next week. I'll, why don't you ask me next week? Oh, okay. Um, too, too early to tell. <laughs> Where have I heard that before? <laughs> too early to tell. Uh, closing out this week, close, let's close out this week with um, a standings update where we see things kind of falling seed-wise, um, where they stand right now, if things were to happen right now, uh, things like that heading into next week. Um, and next week we can start really diving in, um, do our homework, really kind of dive into what we see happening at the trade deadline and things, because a lot, yeah. lot, a lot could happen at the deadline um, with still a flat cap and these different things, a lot still could happen. Um, so we can touch on that a little bit next week. But closing out this week, we'll do a standings update. Um, one thing, one thing you have to look for before you start looking at playoff seedings and, and who's going to be in and who's going to be out and where you're, who's going to have home ice, there is, still a, there is still some discrepancy in the games played. Oh, 100%. So, like I'm looking at it right now. Um, because, of the, because of some of the teams being shut down for stretches that others weren't, um, you know, you got, you got Toronto's played 46, Pittsburgh's played 50. Yeah, so look, there is a discrepancy. Like yeah, look at, looking at it, um, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that as we run through it. Pittsburgh is is tops of the Metropolitan um, with 50, 50 games played with 70 points. Uh, Florida tops the Atlantic, 48 games played with 71 points. Florida is also tops of the East at that point. The way it would fall there, the way it would fall there if things happen now. I know there's a discrepancy in games played. If things happen now, um, Carolina would play the Rangers. Tampa would have Toronto. Pittsburgh would get um, Boston. And Florida would get Washington. Or, sorry, reverse. Um, Florida would get Boston because they're the top seed. And Pittsburgh would get Washington. The way it fell right now. Some great first round matchups. I know. I know that there's discrepancies in games played. Boston's only played 47 games. Toronto's only played 46. Um, the real discrepancy it, in games played, though, is the Canadian markets, given everything. Um, and for example, in the East, um, there the real Canadian markets in the East, Ottawa and Montreal, they're at the very bottom. So they could have 15 games in hand and likely would not earn their way yeah. back yeah. Um, playoffs the eight teams are, are the, the eight teams are set in the east pretty 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 well um detroit detroit is surprisingly a few good bounces and a four-game win streak outside of a wild card spot so i mean it's pretty well set i don't see detroit scratching their way in there they're just they're not there yet especially when you come up against Florida or Toronto or Tampa or somebody, but they're at least right there getting a look. So, um, but that's, that's how it would fall now. Eastern conference wise, let's, let's really quick touch on where we see the seating finishing. 
So right right now, Florida Florida's atop the Atlantic. Does Florida stay at the top of the Atlantic? They're they've been really consistent. So probably so. Yes, Toronto's got two games in hand. That's still not enough if they won them both. Uh, you're you're all coming down to goaltending. But yeah, the, that's this is going to be likely a toss up between Florida and and Tampa, uh, with with Toronto being the odd man out in uh, in that division, and then Boston being your uh, being the wild card. So you like Washington, Boston staying wild card position? I do. I, no, do. I, I do. I do too. I just I don't see them, and I could be wrong. There's still thirty games left, or however much, but. Um, I don't see Boston Washington playing consistently and well enough to earn their way into the divisional aspect of it. Um, the one unproven for me though, is still the New York Rangers. And I know they've been playing well. I know they got some great pieces and guys like Kreider and Fox and, and the, the Shesterkin and goal and stuff they, that they, they put together uh, a, a really unexpected run. I, are they going to hold up? Can they can they stay away from Washington? Can they stay clear of Washington? Uh, eh, we'll see. They're- Washington, New York could could switch at the at the end of the year on where they sit. So you could that's- see you could see Washington. That's the one change. You could see Washington jump to second or third in the Metro, and New York fall to the wild card. Uh, that's the one thing. Again, New York done a well a good job. Um, their their coach has done wonderful. Uh, they they've done a great job. They compete, but again, like anything else, come playoff time, what have you done for me lately? Can they get the job done in the playoffs? It's the same. It's the same argument that we are now getting into. For example, with Colorado, You're, you've now established. You've now built your roster. You've now rebuilt. You're now here. You now have your core locked up for at least the next five years. You're now here. You're now tops of the West of the West. You've been in the playoffs now how many years in a row, but you've been knocked out how many years in a row. Now you got to take that next step, or is this all brought into question? It's the same with anybody else. So New York, New York, if they can if they can make a run, I'll I'll buy New York. Right now, just don't one they're in the East, and I just don't see them consistently enough. And two. Two, anytime I have seen them, they don't have the consistency in their game to prove to me that they can compete for a cup, at least yet. So They've come a long way a lot faster, as has Detroit, than I would have given them credit for. But no, I, but I, I, don't, I don't believe in them to, uh, out of the first round. Believe they, it or not, Pittsburgh is the team for me to watch in the East. And, yeah. looking at, and looking at this right now, since we were so horrendously wrong about the Philadelphia Flyers, Pittsburgh yeah. is the team in looking at this to watch in the East. If you give them that that rope and you give them that chance going into the playoffs, they're dangerous. They're they're proven. They're they're winners and they're dangerous. And my gosh, who would have thought that their star player would be Evan Rodriguez? He's he and he and Gensel, uh, Brian Rust. I mean, there's some guys there that are just you would have considered them middle six at the very on their best day, and they've carried that team through injuries and and have been so consistent for the last couple of years. Um, and Evan Rodriguez since he came there this year. So yeah, you're absolutely right. And hey, hats off to Marty St. Louis. Yeah, 
coaching job in Montreal. Yeah, good for bringing that up. Thank I think you. he'll be. A, I think he'll be a good coach. Whether he stays in Montreal or he goes somewhere else, I think he's capable of being a good coach. He knows how to work. He knows how to do it. He was undrafted. All he he knows it. I think he's going to do. And maybe it will be in Montreal. Who knows? But in general, I think he'll do big things um, wherever he goes as a coach. I, I, crust, who who in the world could you find that has more street cred than a five foot? Five undrafted guy who won Ross trophies, Hart trophies, Stanley Cups, played a thousand games, uh, Hall of Famer. Like, who, how could you possibly find a guy that would have more credibility in the dressing room than Marty St. Louis? Agreed. Uh, Western Conference, uh, games played again, I know because that's a discrepancy, especially among the Canadian uh, markets. Um, Winnipeg, 47 games played. Dallas 47, Anaheim 50, LA 48, Nashville 49. That's all, all on the outside right now. Um, Nashville, LA in your wildcard position, uh, LA tied with Anaheim, Dallas one point back, Winnipeg five points back of a wildcard spot. Uh, Calgary tops your Pacific, Colorado tops your Central with Colorado tops in the West and tops in the NHL. Um, the way it would fall right now, Minnesota would get St. Louis, and Vegas would get Edmonton, with uh, Colorado getting L.A. and Calgary getting Nashville. This is for, for, if it if it started now, but there's a, a, a the Jets are probably not. I mean, they're obviously not mathematically out. They put together a pretty good run here in the last week or ten days. Uh, they may be able to claw their way back in, but as far as the cream of this conference goes, obviously Colorado. Uh, I I am a big fan of what the Calgary Flames have done. I don't. I'm not a big buyer on anybody else. I probably would ra rather not play the St. Louis Blues in the playoffs. But outside of that, Nashville, Minnesota, Dallas. Um, Edmonton, certainly, or, or whoever squeezes in, uh, whether it's L.A., Anaheim, uh, whoever else gets that other wild card spot. Vegas could be – Vegas could scare you with, uh, with Eichel in and having 25 games to acclimate himself. But their goaltending would concern me, especially if Leonard is uh, – uh, Leonard's banged up again now. So that – goaltending – Chris Waugh played well last night, but one game doesn't – doesn't make. No, you don't. You're not going into the playoffs with Laurent Brossois. Uh, no offense to the guy, he's not. He's not going to carry you through the playoffs. So, Western Conference. If if you're looking at it, I've got it pulled up, um, if need be. But where do you see them finishing seed wise? Do does Dallas sneak in? Does Anaheim sneak in? Uh, does anybody? Does anybody like Nashville or Edmonton? Um, even a Minnesota or St. Louis at this point, do they fall out? Does Colorado fall from the top? You know, what happens and where, do, where does the season finish? Well, the, the one question that you've got to solve for is the, the third and fourth seats in, in the Pacific. Um, Edmonton has certainly had a tremendous amount of struggles. Uh, LA is still certainly in the midst of a rebuild as is Anaheim, but have played extremely well. Those three teams are going to be fighting for two spots. So one of those three is going to be out. 
I don't, I, Na, uh, Dal, Dallas has run out of runway to catch Nashville, I, I believe. Uh, I don't see them doing that. Minnesota, St. Louis, Colorado's not going anywhere. They've got too big of a lead and they are too good. But, you know, as far as, uh, as far as the rest, the four teams that are on top now in, in the central are going to stay there. The four teams in the Pacific are going to have to fight off number five, which is going to be Anaheim, LA, or Edmonton. None of which really have a legitimate shot. Vegas, Calgary, Colorado, possibly St. Louis. I, I'm very, very impressed with what Minnesota's done in a short time uh, and surprised the heck out of me, but I don't think they're quite ready yet. Uh, I think they need to get further with Kapanen and goal or Cap. Cap Peck of yeah. pickled peppers. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not buying that. And, and goaltending is where I look to see uh, the Achilles heel and all these guys. Achilles heel. Calgary's will be Markstrom. Um, he's played, he's played tremendously. Yeah. Um, same way Kemper has in Colorado or anything like that. Again, no, the, the Markstrom, just like Kemper for the sake of objectivity, not overly proven come playoff time. So that'll be the big, the big thing um, for both those clubs, again, for objectivity. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, personal side playoffs make me really nervous for no matter who the Avs play. Um, from an objective side, both conferences have the making some pretty good first round matchups if based on where they where they are now and how they how they could fall. So it'll be exciting. Um, There's four games a night in the first round and it's just those are fun. Yep. That's really fun. Next week we'll dive into uh, a little more Great. details regarding uh, the, the build up to the trade deadline, any rumors we hear, anything like that. Uh, NCAA hockey is getting ready to close out their season. Get some conference and divisional champions there heading into uh, the conference tournaments and then eventually the national tournament. Uh, hopefully for them, um, we can we have moved past, and I'm not holding my breath, but hopefully we've moved past in all of hockey, not just the NCAA, um, losing players and forfeiting games to all the BS that have been going on. And now if you qualify for a national tournament, you can actually compete in the national tournament without any concerns, Russian roulette style about showing up to the rink and Oh, now you can't play. So hopefully we're moved past that. If we are, it should be one hell of a national tournament in, uh, in college hockey. Uh, BCHL is getting down to the wire. Same with the WHL. Uh, we'll touch on all that as well, as well as the build toward the trade deadline. Thanks for joining on Zoom this week. Yeah, this is awesome. Appreciate it. Uh, social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, Warren the Hockey Podcast, at Warren the Hockey Podcast, respectfully. Um, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Apple Podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, share, and uh, engage with us. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, YouTube, make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell. Um, Engage with us there as well. Ask questions, anything like that. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all next week. Thanks for joining again this week. And My pleasure as always. Look forward to it. I'm Evan Rauer with Warren Hockey Podcast. We'll see you all throughout the hockey community. Cheers. Cheers.